0: Uh, Father, we come before you now to, to glorify your name, to glorify you through your word. Uh, we pray that we'd have open ears, that we'd uh, only hear what you have to say. Lord, that the words coming from my mouth uh, would be in accordance with your word, would glorify you and your son. And we pray this. Amen. Uh, so our main text for this morning is going to be Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Uh, I didn't ask him to put it on the board, but just I or... Uh, David sure sure could, um, or you could use your pew Bibles. Um, so I'm going to read our text, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, then I'll kind of explain uh, what I'll be preaching about in accordance with the, um, talking about the world systems and why I think we need to rethink uh, some things. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, uh, I'm reading in the NASB. And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course or the age of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Um, So I think we get a fair bit of, of preaching on sin that 's a big s capital s sin, the power of sin um, we have i couldn 't find it on the podcast because I found one fault in the search tool that we don 't we can search the titles of the sermons but not the subtitles, which uh, that 's all I knew, but we had a teaching um, I think it was an RCF teaching or an RCF training or something called the three insurmountable. Enemies of the cross, which we would identify here, using Ephesians two as uh, sin, the power of sin, not our little s sins, um, sin which control totally controls us and dominates us, uh, the world systems, which we'll get into, and Satan, um, and I think we do a pretty good job of talking about sin, the power of sin, and kind of the kingdom of Satan and how he's totally against us and how only Christ could conquer um, those. But I don't think, uh, this is just my thought, you guys can uh, talk to me afterwards if you think I'm wrong, but I don't think we get as much forward preaching on the world systems and um, what it is and uh, what Christ intends to do. And more importantly, what we're going to look at today is how, how we're infected, uh, how we couldn't defeat the world systems, uh, the world's way of thinking, uh, the course of this age. So, um, this morning it's just a simple call in um, in accordance with our main, uh, as Nathan put of main thesis as a church to rethink and rediscover biblical Christianity. Um, this is something I think that that would be profitable. So, uh, I'll just really quick define the world systems. Um, which I'm going to skip around on my notes uh, this morning. And this will be a little bit different from how I normally speak on 930s because I've got three pages of notes. I normally do five. And we're going to stretch it out a little bit. Uh, and I had a weekend in Hawking Hills. I was trying to work in my, on my computer while I was driving. Not while I was driving. <laughs> uh, on the hour and a half on the way back. But that didn't work out. Felt kind of queasy and then I tried last night and what whatever. Take it? No, I got a ticket this morning because I was just frankly speeding <laughs> in, the wrong, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but it wasn't, it was totally my fault this time. Uh, but so the world system is, it says the course of this world. And if you look at verse um, verse three, it says that among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh Indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And so often we think about indulging in our flesh. I want to do this. I want to uh, waste my time playing video games. I want to be gluttonous and and eat as much as I want. I want to uh, indulge in my flesh some way. But I think it's more subtle that we indulge in the desires and the fleshliness of our mind. And so... um, Quite simply, we had a little bit of discussion on, on this over the weekend with a, a couple guys on, on like what is culture uh, and how is culture built. And so every culture has a worldview. There's axioms, there's postulates, there's uh, uncontested, just by faith, we believe things. They, they're not proven, they're not questioned, they just are in any given culture. Um, Part of the reason is because uh, we, everybody lives by faith, every single person. Uh, and I don't want to get too into that, but you, you just can't simply test everything. And even the presuppositions behind your test are dictating where those tests are going and how you interpret them. And so uh, everybody believes something by faith, uh, it's unavoidable, and those people build cultures. And those cultures have, uh, whether that's your family, your church, your, your school, um, or your nation, your state, whatever, we all have these unavoidable um, axioms as a culture that dictate certain things. Some of those are values. Some of those uh, are morals, um, traditions, things like that, uh, which we'll get into some more practical things. So the course of this world is indulging in their fleshly mindsets. Um, Those that that dominate them, those that dictate them, and there's no way to escape them. So if you were born into a culture, which you were, uh, whether that's your family or your nation, you know, going from small scale to to big scale, um, you could never not think those thoughts. You were taught them as a child. You were born into them. They're inescapable. You were raised to believe them. And you did. Uh, A lot of times when um, I do homeschooling with Lily on Wednesdays and we do it for a simple two hours and we do math and reading, it's very simple. And she's never once, I've been doing it since she was three and she's six, so you do the math, it's three years. She's never once in the three years, asked me, "Why is it, Dad? Well, explain it a little bit deeper. Why is it? Why is when we add two plus two it's four? Why doesn't it change?" She never asked that. She just believes it. <laughs> and I could have told her two plus two is seven, and she would have believed it. Uh, she didn't question it. Um, and whatnot. So uh, you know, because when we're taught as a child, we we're, that's how we learn, and that's a uh, that's just how we understand reality. Is we believe things by faith as children, we are taught things, we know them, we understand them, and we don't actually uh, question things in, until we're older. And so, the course of this world is going in a direction, uh, mainly um, because we're nature by nature children children of wrath. Uh, the course of this world, according to our text, is headed towards God's wrath, headed towards destruction. And um, the you'll see that uh, on in the last verse that we're using in verse 7. So in the ages to come, so there are different ages. There's different courses of this world. There's different time periods. But in the ages of which we're speaking of, in the world systems, they're headed towards God's wrath. Um, I like to think about it in some practical terms of if like this circle represents God's reality as in what is biblical, true, and right, when we step outside of that reality, it's headed towards destruction. And sometimes that's in just very practical ways. Uh, we could think in, in economics. Um, one of the things that Uh, uh, that I believe, uh, I listen to a lot of conservative, different people, and uh, one guy said that they, by statistically proven, they say like the tax rate that's sustainable for a culture is like 30%. Well, that's not true. It's actually, if they go above 10% of what God says that he requires, and any authority requires more than that in taxation, and asserts themselves above God, that is headed towards God's wrath and destruction. It is not sustainable. Um, it's not 30%, uh, cause that's really just dictated on how much everybody makes. And, uh, it could be 30% if there's a lot of uber rich people or something, but anyways, uh, but that all comes to destruction if it goes above 10%, maybe even 9%, but I'd like to see it at 5%. But anyways, that's for another discussion. So that's the course of this world. And so, uh... Uh, what we build as people, we individually do it, we build our own culture, but uh, the course of this world is is indulging in the fleshly desires of their mind. Their ways of thinking are dictating the different things about a culture. And so uh, it seems that we have a problem in evangelical Christianity where we uh, we see these things, we see something maybe as extreme, um, as some cases we'll get into. And so we avoid those. Uh, and sometimes uh, we see those, we see the analogy I, like to, I like to, or I thought of last night was, we see this course of this world as like a vehicle traveling on a path. And sometimes as, as evangelical Christians uh, or conservative Christians, we're driving behind them and saying, look how fast they're going. <laughs> they're driving right down to hell. And we're just like slowly trucking behind them and pointing out how fast they're going, going on the same path. Um, But sometimes in conservative evangelical Christianity, we're in a vehicle going down the same path right next to them and saying, wow, look how uh, beat up that car is. Look at how ugly that car is. And we're actually just in a different vehicle. um, Doing something, uh, not going towards biblical Christianity, we're just going and making up some, uh, other anti-biblical thought process uh, and cultures, and so, um, so kind of the reason behind this is uh, what we'll get into towards the end is is Christ clearly came to conquer these conquer these cultures these ways of uh, thinking these um, these uh, these mind. Uh, miliors and, and, and axioms that we as a culture uh, head down. And so, um, let's see. So, Proverbs two six train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he grows older, he will not abandon it. So you notice that it doesn't say that train up a child in a godly way he will go and he'll go down a godly path. It's any way, right? Um, It's not too uh, far out of the stretch of kind of common parlance and understanding that uh, we see um, fathers with alcoholism um, train up their children and their children become alcoholics or they beat their children and their children beat their children, and so on. Uh, it's because they're learning something. And one of the things I wanna challenge us on this morning is, is we're gonna get into some practical, uh, the, hopefully the meat of it is just gonna be a lot of practical things. Um, but I had the nice discussion with uh, Noel um, last night on the car ride home from Hawking Hills about whether we should ever yell at our children you think that would be a short discussion? Uh, or or not yelling, but raising our, Is it ever appropriate to raise your voice? Or to... Um, which you have to kind of define the terms. Is that yelling? Is that just raising your voice? Are you being stern? So you could see how this conversation could take an hour uh, or more. And so one of the things how the Lord designed us to learn, and we kind of get this in in this Proverbs 22:6 6, is uh, we don't just learn by information. Don't do this, do this, and do this. We learn by examples. We learn by our fathers and our mothers showing us. And so um, we're going to get the first one I'm, example I'm going to talk about and kind of shortcut a little bit is egalitarian feminism that is pervasive in our culture is uh, your children or your disciples or anybody you're training is paying attention to how you treat the opposite sex, of you learn very quickly from an early age what a family or marriage should lo- look like. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not until you're older that you begin questioning things. Uh, has anybody ever... Maybe I've heard of these examples. I can't say anyone in particular, but... Um, of... Uh, Maybe there was a situation where uh, the husband was yelling at his wife or something and then the kids start thinking they can yell at their mom, right? Because that's what they learn, right? Those are common things. That's uh, I think um, we could see those pretty easily because um, we don't just learn by information and telling people what to do, uh, even in a child's mind, you know, going back to... Proverbs 22, is they understand that even though I'm receiving this information, I'm learning much more deeper how to treat somebody by the way they're acting. And I would know uh, intrinsically that my dad's just a hypocrite if he says not to yell at my mom and my dad yells at my mom. He's just a hypocrite. Well, I'm just going to do then what? Now I'm just being taught that I can tell people to do something differently than I act. Right? Right. so that's kind of uh, like just how we learn. It's not teach a child information in the way he should go. And when he grows older, he will not abandon that information. Um, it's train up a child. It's, it's an everyday life thing. It's, uh, and you, when you translate this to the spiritual as we make disciples. How are you training them? What are they seeing? A baby in Christ, right? So it doesn't matter uh, how you train them. They will follow whatever you're training them is the point. Um, so this is more, that verse is more of a warning than an encouragement. And so moving on to Romans 12, two, just part a of that verse. Uh, this is a popular one. Do not be conformed to this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, so there's an, Your equation there don't be conformed to this world transform your mind so what's what's it saying that when you're conformed to this world you're conformed to this way of thinking you're dominated by your simple processes of how you're interpreting information and living them and you have to be renewed in your mind Um, if you just think in a very Uh, I love apologetics. If you just think in a very naturalistic way, uh, I like to especially talk with evolutionary atheists when I get a chance to, is uh, to try to explain that knowledge is never possible in a naturalistic way. And uh, don't take this as me equating naturalism and how God works in a minute, but uh, you could never think thoughts outside of yourself. You could never come up with an original thought that you could not think of. Right, that's just basic logic. Your mind has a way of processing information, and unless an outside force is introduced, your mind could never be anything but what you yourself think, right? Does that make sense, or is that too weird or out there? Uh, you know, in a naturalistic evolutionary sense, you know, what I'm equating that to is, saying that if it's just biological mechanisms, you can never think anything besides what those biological mechanisms make you think. That would uh, just be simple dictation. Um, so, to, when, you're, when we're in these world systems, when we're in this process of thinking of how our culture thinks, how a family, education system, uh, economic system, um, you know, a, a nation thinks, You could never get outside of that. You need an outside source is what I'm saying. And in Romans 12, if you read all of Romans up until that point, that's the shift of, okay, now we're going to actually like practically live the gospel. And the first one talks about the first thing he says is renew your mind. And then goes in to tell you how to do that. This culture lives this way. We're not going to do that. We're going to live this way. And if you don't understand why, read the last 11 chapters, and that'll tell you why. And then we're gonna do this. The culture says do this, but we're gonna do this. If you don't understand, read those 11 chapters again. Um, Because we need to have a renewed mind. We need to think in different ways. And the course of this world with their thought processes, you think something and then you live it out, right? You don't do something and then you're like, oh, I think I'll, oh, I never thought about like I should, I did that. You're not like a robot, right? And so um, the first part of the gospel is renewing your mind. It is getting new information and beginning to live differently. Um, Getting new presuppositions. Uh, You know, one of the things that... um, uh, I wasn't going to bring up, but, uh, like in first John two twenty-seven, it says, and as for you, the anointing, which you received from him remains in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Why am I here? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, here in a second, but his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it, is, just as it has taught you, you remain in him. So, if we all have received Christ and we all have this anointing, why do we get up here on Sundays and even teach anything? Well, the verse isn't saying nobody needs a teacher, right? But there are certain things, like if you become a Christian and if you submit your life to Christ, the first thing the Holy Spirit's going to do is say, Oh, the scriptures, the Bible is the Word of God, and maybe I should read that and take that more seriously, and you might start reading scripture you're probably still going to need someone to teach you how serious you should take that and how serious scripture takes that. And, uh, you're still going to need someone to teach you that, Hey, maybe you should get a Bible reading plan. And maybe instead of like wasting your life on video games or something, you should read scripture. And maybe you should, maybe if you're, uh, you keep trying to read in the morning, but you're not a morning person. Maybe you should just do something else and read later in the day or at night and make time, right? You still need someone to teach you, but when the Holy Spirit is alive and active, you don't need someone to uh, create in you a hunger for God's word. You'll be a little hungry. Uh, and hopefully as you eat, you'll be more hungry. But anyways, and so... Um, we need to uh, just simply like rethink a lot of things in a biblical context. Uh, And I think we're more, I don't say we as a whole Christian, I know we as as, as American Western Christians are in both boats where, or both cars, where we're driving behind the worldly car and saying, Look how fast they're going. Uh, they're headed straight towards destruction. And we're also in the car, and sometimes we'll pull up behind them and say, Your car stinks, and uh, <laughs> drive right next to them. But uh, think about it this way when Israel was called to go into the land, what were they supposed to do with the people? mingle with them, make friends, say, greet them and say, hello, it's very nice to meet you. Teach us a little bit about your culture. Maybe we can absorb some things. <laughs> no, drive them out, get them out. You don't belong here. This isn't your territory. God put a stake on this. Uh, maybe I'll ask you nicely, but I'm only going to ask once and then you're gone, right? But Israel wasn't faithful in that. And What happened? Slowly, progressively, over time, they absorbed the idols of the culture and became far worse than the nations were uh, that they were supposed to drive out. Right? Um, I like, this is just a, maybe a crass example, but it's the Bible. So if you've got a problem with it, take it up with God. Do <laughs> you guys remember what Moses did with the Golden calf, after he came down from the mountain and saw that they were uh, worshiping an idol. Mm-hmm. What did he do you do? No. And they were supposed to drink it. Uh, that's a funny thing. Why were they supposed to drink it? Yeah. And what happens to it? What happens to something after it goes in your body? Yeah. Uh, he was making a point not just we're, just, we're not just going to take this idol and throw it in the bottom of the river or or get it out. We're going to grind it up into a powder. We're going to put it in the water and you're going to have to drink it. And then you can see what happens to your idol because it's going to come out. And if you want that gold, you can get it, but you're going to have to dig through your own feces because that's where it belongs. Get them out, right? There was no place for them. Uh, but Israel's downfall wasn't a, oh, they had idols, and then, oh, everything bad happened. It was, oh, they had idols, we started to absorb this way of thinking, and like, they're like, okay, it's okay. God isn't raining down fire. This is kinda cool, we can kinda mix with the idols, and we can go up to the mountains, and uh, it got to the point of where we can go up to the mountains and uh, we can take our children and we can burn them, just like the other nations. And then we can come down and we can worship in the altar and we can offer sacrifices to Yahweh and then we can go back up and kill our children. And they did this for years and generations. And oh, God's not bringing judgment. This is, well, maybe it wasn't that serious. Right? Was that slow progression that eventually, um, this is kind of a a side um, proof of, Israel's idolatry, um, and they're mixing with the, with the nations was, it should have been like a huge indication, like think about how much, um, or how seriously the new Testament takes unity. And so when you see the nation divide, right. in between Northern and Southern kingdom, uh, you know, there's destruction coming. If you had like never read scripture before and you knew some biblical principles and you were just reading the narrative and you saw that the nation split, you would have to think like, oh, that nation's going down. Like they split. They couldn't stick together. They couldn't make a resolution. It's, it's the end is coming soon. Uh, and it did. And so uh, that's what we need to rethink in, in our church. And I'm not saying that this applies This just applies to our Christian culture in general, and we need to tell other people about it. I'm talking about our church, okay? So let's get to to some uh, practical examples. Here's the fun part, Uh, egalitarian feminism. Uh, Quite frankly, uh, our culture hates females. Um, It's very evident. Men are hate to hate females through the exception of pornography, um, through abortion, Uh, And just the simple idea that men and women can operate equally in every aspect and respect on the same playing field. And I don't mean like sports. I'm not talking about sports. I'm saying that men and women are given for the same task. And I'm not saying women should stay at home and make babies. So if those thoughts came into your mind, you're already in the wrong, wrong thought process. Um... And here's how I want to challenge us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11:7. I didn't write that one down, but I'm going to open up to it and read the whole verse instead of part of it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11:7. Uh, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. So a lot of times when we read this chapter about head coverings, we think, oh, this is weird. Do women need to wear head coverings, do they not? And we get into this like weird thought process, which we're not gonna talk about today, about head coverings, but it says very clearly, the woman is the glory of man. And so what are we called to do as Christians? Glorify women, right? You can tell very clearly uh, how biblical a church or culture is, in reality, is how much they honor, glorify, and lift up women. Uh, Most of the time, what I see in the broader evangelical culture is us driving behind the courts of this world and say, look how uh, fast they're going while we suppress our women, uh, we make them sit down and shut up. And they're supposed to like, we only think that they're gonna uh, be these homemakers and and make babies, which I don't think there's anything wrong with being a homemaker. But if you're kicking the women down the road, suppressing them and never allowing them, never lifting them up and honoring them is what it says, then you're not thinking biblically. One of those ways is, uh, uh, I knew I was gonna preach on this so I can raise my hand and say I did this. Uh, It's raining outside today, how many men stood at the door and waited for women to come and hold an umbrella so that they didn't have to get wet, right? We think that is almost like an old time tradition of well that was happened, and well, she can run fast enough so she can get in there. Right, or she can open up her own door. She's an independent woman, she don't need no man. Um, you know? Actually, I make that joke with Mariah all the time because uh, she'll be, six, well, she's 16 today. Um, and yeah, happy birthday, Mariah. She's at home with her mom. But uh, boy, we make that all, all joke all the time because that's a common thing in, in her culture is we make jokes of like, oh, you're an independent woman, you don't need no man. Well, except for your dad except for your pastor, and most of the police force, and, and your principal, and all these other men. Um, but the point is, are we honoring and glorifying women, right? That's what it says, that the woman is the glory of man. You don't take your glory, and you push it back and suppress it, right? You honor it. We, uh, I've hardly heard good messages on, um, not that I've heard a lot, on, is um, that the first Peter or second Peter passage about women being the weaker vessel, right, and applied rightly, and they're like, well, women are like fine china, and they're just more delicate, and they're easy to break, or something, like, that's not the point, like, if that analogy is true, you put the fine china on display in a cupboard usually with, if you're like my mom or grandma, and with a light on it so people can see your fine china. Right, you glorify it. Um, But our uh, kind of off-biblical conservative ideas of what women are supposed to be are just another unbiblical example, another unbiblical ditch that we fall into. Right? And everybody, I think everybody in some sense gets that, uh, that the woman is the glory of man. Uh, on June 12th, when I marry Noelle, uh, I'm going, there's going to be some piano music playing by Roseanne, and I'm going to walk in with my groomsman and put my hands in my pocket, and nothing's going to change, and people are going to be like, oh, there's, I think that's Steven at the front, and, and there's some other guys. And we're just going to mosey in, and people are going to look at us, and nothing's going to change. No one's going to do anything. Somebody might wave from the crowd or something. Uh, but when Noel walks in, everybody is going to stand up. The music's going to change, and it's in- going to indicate that someone very special is going to walk through, not these doors, but the doors of the church. But when I walk in, it's just, here I am. Nice <laughs> to see you. But right, we get that, especially the marriage ceremony that it's about the bride, right? There's a progression in glory from the father to the son, from the son to his church, right? Christ is more glorified through the church, right? Uh, and so, it doesn't, this doesn't just apply to married men or men looking to be married, if we had a culture of married men respecting and honoring their women or glorifying their women, then we would have that in, it doesn't just like poof magically happen overnight. We got married, we got the piece of paper. Now I'm gonna treat you with dignity and respect and I'm gonna open the car door for you and things like that, right? We're supposed to be a culture that protects our women. Um, One of the interesting aspects of culture just in general of what we're called to be, um, and think about it in, in this respect of John five, I'm sorry, Matthew five, when Jesus says that we're supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, where, well, can anybody walk into our church and, and, uh, and say, hey, wow, I, I wanna be treated like these women are treated. They're treated with a lot of dignity, a lot of respect. Everybody lets the women go through the line first to eat food. Uh, Wow, that doesn't happen at home. That doesn't happen where I come from. Um, What we do teaches the culture around us, right? They should see a difference. Not just we get up here and preach a difference, they should see a difference. All right, that was egalitarian feminism. Let's move on to the second one. Uh, Which will be a little bit less because I talk about it enough. Statism. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Oh, wait. Uh, I'm not a big proponent of the pledge. Um, You can, under your own conviction, do whatever you want. We can talk about it later. Um, But statism is huge in our culture. You were born into it, you're more statist than you believe. Even if you're a libertarian, like myself, you're still more statist. Um, Real quick, Psalm 72. uh, I'll just do verse 11. And may all kings bow down before him, all nations serve him. And we all know Philippians 2 that every knee will bow. That includes governors, kings, monarchies, parliament, presidents, uh, the house, everybody. And so, um, our culture, just as Americans, has been bred and raised to believe that the state is your daddy. That you go to the state for help. That you get help from the government when you lose your job. You get help, you run to the government when... um, uh, mostly for monetary reasons or, or whatnot. But, um, and sure, there could be more godly governments and programs and different things. But uh, you know what? The government didn't ask me uh, how I was doing or if I needed help for a stimulus check. I don't need a stimulus check. I don't know. There's some people are that need it. They could have decided that pretty easily, Uh, but it's becoming a system of relying on the government. When look at Second Peter five, I'm sorry, Second is it First Timothy or First Timothy five, when it shows you how a church should set up a welfare system. I'm not opposed to welfare. I would be opposed in a lot of cases where you get your welfare. Right? There's a problem if we believe that the government is always the answer, right? Um, maybe that's because you don't wanna go through the necessary steps it would take through a local church or community uh, to, to get welfare, like keeping you accountable or something. Um, and uh, I'll be the first one to say that I don't really follow government news or politics that much. Um, but I heard, I don't know, is it true that there could be like another $1,400 stimulus? Uh, That would be immoral for me to take it. It has to be sent back. I will not accept it. Next, radical individualism, anti-authority. Because we're bred in a culture... That teaches naturalism or naturalistic evolutionary thinking. um, That means that you get to define your purpose. Every culture has a given uh, worldview and set of like, this is where our culture is going. Gosh darn it, we're Americans and we're going to promote democracy and freedom. That's what we live by. Why? Because that's where I was born. And right, we just, uh, why is, and we don't normally think past that. That's just where we live. Um, We live in a culture that that teaches that you get to define your truth. You get to define your happiness and what that means. Right? Well, that's not, is that true? Is that real? If that's real, then what are the implications? Right? We get to choose uh, which church we go to. I don't like this church's music, so I'll go to this church. I don't like what the pastor said because it, Hurts my feelings, so I'm going to go to another church or, or not obey it uh, or not listen to it, um, right? That is deeply ingrained in our culture. Uh, because we're running out of time, let's move on to the prosperity gospel or the faith, faith message. Uh, this is something more uh, hitting home towards just Christian culture, right? That, that God's plan for you is health, wealth, and happiness, and we affirm, oh, no, we don't believe that. Uh, we don't want that. Uh, we don't want just health, wealth, and happiness. We'll take everything. But that's so ingrained in our Christian culture that we, that, that that's what we've been taught to look for, right? That's, the, that's how we define success. That's how we define godly people. Um, that's how we know how someone's doing, doing well. But... Uh, if you, the Puritans were really good at teaching about suffering, um, because back in the uh, late 15 to 1600s, uh, you lost sometimes half your children, and if half your kids were dying, um, in today's culture, there would be a big problem. But that was more normal, you know, a few hundred years ago, and uh, you had to understand God's promises. And the scriptures, to uh, just what it and and how to rely on God instead of interpreting things of oh man, like I did get a speeding ticket today. Why is God judging me? (laughs) Why does He hate me so much? Uh, Or why does that? Why is why is there military police officers? Can't we just have like normal like city police officers? Uh, They wouldn't have been there. Or, well, I told the guy I was going to church. Does he hate Christians? He probably just gave me a ticket because he hates Christians. Well, no, the Lord's trying to teach me something that I probably shouldn't go 44 and a 25. I'll just continue to go the other way. (laughs) Not going that way anymore, right? Uh, Do you grumble, right? That's what the Israelites constantly were uh, um, doing. We're just grumbling. Um, not, you know, knowing, not having the mindset that everything from the Lord is good. Every conflict, every suffering, every trial, every temptation is an opportunity to meet Christ on the other side of the cross, right? Uh, The prosperity gospel and faith message is so prevalent that uh, we find it hard to confront people about sin sometimes, right? Because we don't want to make them, well, they might not like me or, you know, there's a hundred different reasons uh, we could think of. Well, uh, I don't like conflict, so I don't want to create conflict. It makes me feel weird. And if I feel weird, God doesn't want me to do that because that's not good. I don't like feeling weird, right? We interpret in this kind of anti-biblical way. Um, So 1 Corinthians uh, ten four through five says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for destruction of fortresses. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, right? We're very simply not called to do things in the conservative traditional way. We are called to do those things as far as they are in line with scripture, glorify God and are obedient to Christ. And this would be a call to examine those things, examine some of the ideas, not go with, uh, well, that's the way we've been doing it and this seems to pragmatically work better, but does it obey Christ? And so uh, verses four through five give us the solution as we kind of close here. Uh, But God being rich in mercy because because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I'll just read the next two verses as well. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Right? We can go uh, one more verse and say, it's by grace you've been saved, not of your own doing, not of works by man, so that no man might boast, uh, so that you are his workmanship in Christ Jesus created for good works. Well, the only way you're going to know what good works are, are through his word. If God reveals that to you, right? How does he reveal it? Through the scriptures, Right? Only by God's grace are we going to actually overcome the course of this world, these cultural ideas, and even uh, the other side of the ditch, the anti-biblical, uh, semi-conservative thinking um, ideas that we have, right? Uh, Psalm 119:105. your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. God first delivers light to us out of darkness through his word. Right? The three delivery systems of grace that we talk about are, in this order, his word, the spirit, and the church. Uh, the spirit always speaks according to the word and reveals the word. The church speaks truth as much as it speaks according to the word, right? And so we need to re-examine some things and rethink things. Uh, but be comforted. Uh, John 16, 33 says, I have overcome the world, right? Um, This is an area that Christ wants to be victorious and he's gonna do it by his means, right? Through his church, uh, filled with his his spirit, uh, teaching the word, teaching our culture to be actually more biblical, not just conservative, not just um, going a little bit slower than the world, and, adop- and adopting the same ideas. So that's uh, our mission. So let us do that. Uh, Father, we glorify your name. We, uh, we pray through your son, Jesus Christ, who has overcome the world, who is our victor. Uh, you shed light and grace on us. It's by your mercy that you reveal things and you show them to your beloved children. Let us uh, take those things freely from you. Uh, Let us adopt those things from you. Let us uh, study and learn those things from you for your glory. Amen.